and indeed a lovely song that helps us to enter into the theme that we're looking at this morning. And uh, you'll know if you've come along to our fellowship, we're working our way through the acts of the Holy Spirit through the apostles. And this morning, just going to read a few words uh, from the second part. We've moved on from uh, the beginning as we've looked at this whole issue of speaking in tongues. Uh, We looked at the fact that if nothing supernatural happens in a church, then you've got to say, well, you know, it might as well go along to the local rugby club or cricket club. Now, you don't know what rugby is and you don't know what cricket is. The baseball club or whatever it is that, uh, that you have here, fishing club and so on. So Peter stands up Uh, At the end of uh, verse 13, which says, Others, uh, mocking, said they are full of wine. Now, that's an introduction for a sermon, isn't it? Okay, Uh, They're full of wine, people are saying. And I'm glad that uh, no one's actually expressed that to me in terms of the congregation here at this moment in time. But we read this. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to the men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, Let this be known to you and heed my words. For these are not drunk as you suppose since this is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And then Peter graciously quotes uh, from uh, uh, the prophecy of Joel which finishes at verse 21 and says, And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now that's an imperative that he's presenting Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And then we go on and uh, Peter is speaking. He says, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, signs, uh, which God did through him in your midst. Some of them there, many of them would have remembered seeing Jesus and the miracles that had taken place. Perhaps some of them had indeed experienced them themselves. As you yourselves know, the scripture says, him being delivered by the determined purpose and the foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be held by it. And then a section again from the Old Testament that comes through and we go a little bit further to verse 29. Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that the fruits of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne. He, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses, therefore being exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this, which you now see and hear. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he, said, he says himself, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly, that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And we'll uh, stop our reading just at that point. But what a tremendous message that is being brought to these people. The first message that is preached in uh, the era of the church itself after Pentecost had taken place. And as you know, if you've uh, been joining with us, well, we've been working our way through 
um, the book of Acts, and we've only managed to get to this section in chapter 2. About 120 men and women were waiting for the promise that the Lord Jesus had given, that the Holy Spirit would be poured out on them. And as they waited, and then the Feast of Pentecost comes, which is a bit like a, a Thanksgiving, a harvest festival that we might be familiar with in the Jewish calendar. The Holy Spirit was poured out, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak in other tongues, uh, other languages. People from many different nationalities heard them speaking. And the amazing thing, the supernatural thing was, was that they didn't have to look for any translation because what they were hearing was the language that they knew. And we've already spoken in uh, some of our messages previously. There was at least 17 or 18 languages that would have been spoken in amongst the group of people that we had there. And all of them heard, if you like, their mother tongue, the language that they, had, uh, 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 that they, that they spoke. And if you remember last time uh, we looked at Acts, you'll recognize that there were three responses to the events that took place um, in amongst this crowd as they were listening uh, to, the, uh, to the wonders of God, we're told, that were spoken of, and they could hear them in their own languages. And there were three um, uh, 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 responses that came. Can anybody remember what the first one was? They were amazed, okay? So the first one was they were amazed. The second one was they were... All you have to do is to look at the scriptures in front of you. It's not difficult. The second one is they were perplexed, okay? Third one, slightly harder perhaps, but we've read about it already. So it was that last uh, introduction to Peter as he stands at others mocking and said they are full of new wine. And we spoke of the fact that what they're doing, they're mocking, they're being critical of what is taking place here. So the third response that we uh, looked at was that uh, they were in a sense uh, having that, uh, that, that they were making fun, if you like. They were being critical because they did not uh, like what was being spoken of. So we see that those were the responses. They were, res uh, they were amazed because they did not expect this to happen. You know, they didn't expect to hear things in their own language that were being presented to them. That was not on the agenda. They were perplexed, and, uh, and they were perplexed because they didn't understand what was being spoken. You know, if, if you know what's going to be said, well, you're not perplexed because you know what's uh, being spoken. And then, of course, if you're going to be critical, well, you make that very clear. But all of this gave Peter an opportunity. And as we go into our lives, we discover that just by default, we are given opportunities to speak to people. Indeed, people are amazed, they're perplexed, and they can be critical. Uh, we had a, a meeting with our uh, evangelism team on Friday evening. Um, in fact, if anyone wants to join the evangelism team, it's too late this time, but we had a, a Chinese takeaway together as we began to talk together and it was it was fascinating to see the way they were so keen to eat and uh, to have their fill and I thoroughly enjoyed it as well and it was a good it was a good time that we had together but we were able to talk about some of the some of the responses that people give as we go out and uh, and meet together and there are those who are amazed they're amazed that anybody's prepared to knock on the door and talk to them about Jesus and there are others that are absolutely perplexed you know the things you're saying don't sound right to me my pastor tells me something different. The church I go to says we don't go out and evangelize and do things. 
And then there are others that are prepared to mock. But all of these opportunities are given to us because we can then speak, we can stand up, and we can talk of the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. The church was born at Pentecost. And this morning I want to talk about the importance of preaching in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ today. And I know that some of you are thinking, well, you would do, wouldn't you? Because uh, you're the preacher here, and if you don't justify your existence, well, you know, that's the end of it, isn't it? Well, if that's the way you look at it, I want to just say I'm really sorry, because that is a very, very immature way of looking at it. Um, Preaching is important, but I have to say to you that I completely agree and understand with many people that preaching has done great damage to people the way that it's presented. And we're going to talk about what are the, where do the great damages come from. I had a, an email from um, somebody recently who was talking about their pastor, and the pastor had uh, uh, confirmed a couple of things. And one of them is, he said, well, in the 14 years I've been here, I've never preached on this issue. And as I read the letter, I'm thinking to myself, well, no wonder your church has got problems. If you have never taken God's word, opened the scriptures and explained what is going on. Because all too often uh, we come across situations when preachers, when pastors are prepared to talk about the things they want to, the things they like to, and they don't want to talk about the things that are actually very important. And of course we'll discover very clearly that whenever preaching is involved, it is never the preacher's words that should be the be-all and the end-all. The preacher should only present the word of God, and that's the imperative that we will look at this morning. And of course, that's exactly what took place here uh, with uh, Peter as he comes and as he speaks. So what I want to do is to uh, reaffirm the central requirement of good Bible-believing, affirming churches has to be the preaching of God's Word. Uh, We're absolutely sure of this uh, for many reasons, but one of them is the fact that as we begin to read the Scriptures, we discover that in the Scriptures... These messages, these sermons are indeed very much central to it. How many messages are referred to in the book of Acts, in the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the Apostles? Has anybody ever considered this? Okay, so what sort of ballpark figure would we like to go for? Um, We know there's one because we've just read quite a lot of it. We haven't read all of it. Anyone, uh, any advance on one? Uh, No one's going to hazard a guess? Okay, let's go for five. What do you think? Five? Higher? Lower? Higher? Okay. Young lady at the back says higher. (laughs) Okay, so let's go to ten. Higher? Lower? Young lady at the back. Young lady at the back says higher, so we'll go for higher. Fifteen? Okay. Now we're beginning to get, you know, this is serious because remember, it's not a a, a terror, 28 chapters or so. So what are we at? 15. Higher or lower? Okay. We're going to go for higher. 19. And it's possible there may be some more. But there are at least 19 messages or summaries of messages that are recorded for us here in the book of Acts alone. Eight of them were preached by Peter. Nine of them were preached by Paul. And one of them preached by Stephen. What a message Stephen preached. Tremendous message, wasn't it? And we discover, of course, that when he finishes and he says amen, 
he's stoned to death. Now, it wasn't because of the quality of his preaching. It was the fact that he reminded the leaders, the Jewish leaders, of things that they did not want to hear. And one of them was regarding the temple. And he also, as we've been speaking this morning, reminded them of who Moses was and the fact that Moses had said, one's going to come after me and you've got to listen to what he has to say and he's referring to the Lord Jesus Christ. So that, of course, was Stephen and the last one or one of them that we see that was preached was by Philip. In fact, 25% of the text of the book of Acts are these men preaching. And when you read the New Testament, you discover that preaching holds a prominent place right the way through from our Lord Jesus. Uh, we see that he spoke on many, many occasions, and preaching was the chosen way that he chose uh, to, to, to communicate. And we see very clearly the Apostle Paul in many occasions and others and so on. So this morning, I want to start by giving an apologetic for preaching. No, I'm not saying I'm apologizing for preaching. I'm simply saying that we need to defend preaching. And we need to defend preaching as never before because there are influences that are coming into the church today that are determined to try and do away with preaching. The idea that uh, what we really need in churches is excitement, things that are exciting. Well, I'll tell you what, coming to Norwich Baptist Church in a tent with all that we have going on has got to be one of the most exciting churches to come along to. But it's not because we're in a tent. It's because we do believe in God's Word as being central in everything that we do and everything that we talk about. Whether it's a small group, whether it's uh, when we meet with our young people, whatever it is, you will find this book central in everything that we do. It has to be because without it, we'll end up doing whatever we choose, being led in whatever direction that we want to be. And we have seen the error that has taken place as many people have done that. So this morning, I'm not making any apology for preaching. What I graciously want to do is to give a defense, an explanation of preaching, as I see uh, that we find contained in Scripture. Now, of course, some of you think, as I've already mentioned, well, yeah, he would do that because uh, maybe his paycheck depends upon it. And it's sad that in some cases churches seem to uh, uh, have the attitude, well, you know, if the preaching isn't what we're up to, then we'll look for someone else rather than to hear what is being said. Sadly, preaching is not held in the highest regard today. And uh, I've got to say that sometimes that's quite understandable. Some Christians uh, who attend church, they grade a sermon on the number and the quality of the jokes that the pastor decides to bring and to share. A new police recruit was taking his final examination and the sergeant posed the question, what would you do if you were asked to arrest your mother-in-law? And the recruit replied immediately, without blinking, I'd call for backup. <laughs> right, has anyone heard that joke before? Okay, I'm really pleased because that's a joke that Joel Olstein told recently on one of his programs that I was listening, okay? And I just want to say to you that if the only thing you remember when you go out this morning is the joke about the police officer and his mother-in-law, I'm, I'm disgusted, okay? And that's why we don't, you know, we, we have the odd occasion when we can say something which is relatively humorous, but you won't find... Me, I'm going to suggest 
you know, good preachers often using jokes in that way, particularly when they're derogatory towards your mother-in-law. Sorry, Dixie, okay? And also that we do not, uh, you know, have no relationship to what is being spoken. Some people sit, and as soon as the message starts, they start the stopwatch on their phone to see exactly to the hundredth of a second how long the sermon is. I don't think that we have to preach for the sake of it. It's the content that's important. But sometimes, you know, the Holy Spirit leads us. And I remember an occasion uh, as a youngster growing up and a missionary from Africa came and he started to preach and he preached for an hour and then he preached for an hour and a half and uh, that some people were getting a bit uneasy and the pastor stood up and said, okay, if you want to leave, that's fine. But this is God's word. Let's listen to what he has to say. Do you know what? Not one person walked out. Because it's important sometimes that we hear what we have to hear. So we shouldn't be gauging it in that respect. Um, I was looking at the dictionary definitions of preaching, or the word preaching, and Webster's Dictionary defines preaching amongst other definitions like this. It says, preaching is to discourse on moral and religious topics, especially in a tiresome manner. Okay, now that doesn't give a great deal of encouragement for us, does it? So I hope that we don't do this in a tiresome manner. So we turn to Chambers, 21st century dictionary, and amongst a variety of definitions, it says, to preach is to give advice in an offensive, tedious, and obtrusive manner. Okay, well, again, I hope that that's not uh, what we're trying to do here at Norwich Baptist Church. We turn to the Oxford uh, English Dictionary, and it says this, preaching is to moralize tediously. Well, if you're going to go to a church that moralizes tediously, you need to think to yourself, is this uh, where the Lord would have me to be? Because that isn't what it should be about. I'm concerned over the repetition of words like tedious, offensive, tiresome, obtrusive. But that's the image with which a lot of people hold preaching in, 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 the, view, in the world in which we live. The pastor stands up and he says, don't sleep with your boyfriend or your girlfriend before you get married. And you think to yourself, I don't want to hear that. We've got other plans. Okay? Now do you begin to see where the problem lies? Preaching, you could say, has an image problem. Because often the pastor preaches and makes statements that are just not what the people want to hear. And I remember speaking to a chap who used to come along to this church. And he had a number of complaints. And one of them was the fact that I wasn't preaching what he wanted to hear. So I said to him, well, what do you want to hear? And he said, we just want to go home encouraged that God loves us all and that everything's fine. There's nothing to worry about. And I said, well, ultimately, at the end of the day, if you know and love the Lord Jesus, then you don't have that problem. But we need to be reminded that sin is real. We need to be reminded that Jesus is real. We need to be reminded that Jesus has done something about our sin. And we need to be reminded of the fact that God is gracious to us and he disciplines us from time to time. There are times when we need to be told no. And this evening, uh, if you're able to come along for our uh, gospel service, I'm going to confess of an account 
that uh, took place with my brother and I in some detail and it was discipline that the police officer dished out and the court backed him up with and it did the world of good because there are times when we need that discipline in our lives. You see, if somebody gets up and begins to tell somebody else what to do, that's the impression that we get so often. We just don't like it. Don't sleep with your boyfriend. Don't sleep with your girlfriend. Not because the pastor thinks it's a bad idea, but because God's word says it's not right. Now, of course, uh, this is not a new problem. Congregations have complained about preaching for hundreds of years. Anthony Trollope, in his novel Bachelor Towers, written in 1857, based on an Anglican deanery in England, says, There is no greater hardship inflicted on mankind in a civilized and free country than the necessity of listening to sermons. So we recognize that it is a problem which has hung around for a long time. Of course, there are a number of contemporary objections that people bring towards preaching, which we need to consider, and it's right that we do that. Here's just two of them. There's many others, but we haven't got time, and you get the gist of what we're talking about. It's argued that in the old days, it was customary for people to sit and listen to someone else tell them things, Um, uh, tell them what to think, if you like. Perhaps they weren't educated. They didn't have the same access to books and to the internet, and so on, that we have today. Perhaps in some cases they had no books. And if you go back into the uh, 17 and 1800s, you know, people couldn't read even if if they had a book, and uh, and so on. Information was uh, brought by somebody who stood up and spoke about it, who preached it to them. And then the argument goes on to say that we're now more educated, that we're now more sophisticated, that we're more democratic, and that we're more pluralistic. And here's the thing, that we're wiser than previous generations used to be. Well, I'll tell you what, my mum's generation could read better than we could. They could add up, count. There was a certain wisdom that was demonstrated because there were standards that had to be maintained. And now... Uh, Who was it, Emma? We were just talking about a youngster just recently. Can't read. You know, this is Canada. I know. No no need for details. Okay. And, and, And we both were shocked. So what's going on? What's going wrong? But these are the modern ideas where you can't have somebody who stands up and says this to them. No one has the right to tell anyone else what they should believe or how they should believe. Therefore, says the argument, preaching is no longer relevant. It's a relic of a bygone age of ignorance. Another objection is based on the modern theories of communication. And they tell us that the lecture format, because this is what preaching is, it's a lecture format, we don't you know, hide that fact, that it falls into the very worst method of communication that you can come across. And I must admit, you know, friends, I have sat through some pretty pretty boring sermons, you know. And you think to yourself, this is going nowhere. It's the worst method of communication, we're told. Worst way to teach people. Because they only retain a very small percentage of what you hear. You might remember the joke... (laughs) 
And so they tell us that there are four primary means of learning. We learn by listening. That's certainly one of them. We learn by discussing. We learn by watching. And we learn by discovering. And I've got to be honest with you and say, I've got no problem with any of that. Because all of that is true. And that's why, for example, in this fellowship, we employ all of them. Yes, we have preaching, where we come to listen and to learn. We also have our small groups where we're able to meet together and to discuss. And if you're not a member of our small group, well, you know, it's, it's something you're losing out on. Because there's nothing better than to be able to discuss an issue. You might go off track, but as a group, the Holy Spirit is leading. And it's a good thing to be able to do that. So if you're not a member of one of our small groups, please uh, talk to Sherry or I and we'll get you involved in that. And if you've ever been involved in a discussion or Bible study, they're great. We try to model consistency so that people learn by watching. I turn up for church morning and evening every week. But then I would do, wouldn't I? But my wife comes and we bring all of our children. Sometimes it's not easy. But we believe that we have to live an example so that people can see and we try to get people involved in ministry. And we do this because we know that doing and discovering, what greater way of learning God's word is there and learning the Christian life than being involved in it, perhaps leading some of the children's work, leading a small group discussion or whatever it is. But if you choose not to get involved, then you're the one that misses out. You're the one who is poorer for that. And remember with your children, sometimes it's great just to let them hear and see what takes place. So we have no argument with modern theories of communication. However, I must insist on the unique place of preaching in church for several reasons. And it's absolutely vital that we understand this. This week is just an introduction to Peter's message, but I felt we needed to talk about this because it's so important. Peter's sermon that is recorded for us here in Acts 2 is wonderful and it's a great example to us and it's the very first sermon that we see after the uh, uh, outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And we begin by considering three reasons why preaching must, 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 and must again have a unique place in the church of Jesus Christ today. Firstly, good preaching is the exposition of the inspired Word of God. Now, we've spoken about this already, and I guess that uh, you would all immediately say, well, yeah, we know that. So why is it then that Paul, for example, writes to the Galatians and says, I'm amazed because you've so quickly turned your back upon the gospel. And we come across church after church today where they have so easily turned their back upon God's Word and we discover that the areas that they don't like, they get one of those big black pens out and they cross it out because they don't want that to be there. And you've heard the story so many times of the little old lady who's in hospital and the pastor comes to see her and he says, where's your Bible? He hasn't bothered to bring his own. And she says, oh, it's over there, pastor. So he goes to get it and there's a front cover and a back page 
back cover and he says well where's all the pages in between and he says well every time you said we don't have to worry about that or we don't have to believe about that I tore that page out and that's all I've got left now is the front cover and the back cover how we treat God's word is so imperative and so important and we need to remember that it is given to us in its entirety for a reason so firstly good preaching is the exposition of the inspired word of God. Is it God's word? Or is it just a book of a few rules that are quite useful to follow? Well, we believe it is indeed the inspired word of God. Good preaching is none other than a clear and passionate presentation of the word of God. Good morning, everyone. Please, will you turn with me? Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 and we'll start at verse 14 that's Acts chapter 2 verse yes we know what the reference is what's going to happen next because there does need to be passion in the presentation of God you know do we believe it and that's the thing that I found so exciting about going to Handel's Messiah last night. And I found myself, and my wife will support me, I was sitting on the edge of the seat because I wanted to hear how you managed to get all these words to fit into the music. And then suddenly I remembered that the words that were being spoken are just wonderful words. You know, from Job 19. I know that my Redeemer lives. Do you know that your Redeemer lives? Have you ever read Job 19? And then you start to look through and you see so many other wonderful sections of scripture that come together and it was just exciting to be able to do that. In fact, Joe and I had to look up some scriptures because sadly, I'd never really understood what was being spoken of. And so it was a great uh, encouragement to be able to do that and to see what was being presented. We discover, of course, that uh, preaching is... Uh, is the place where the Word of God is presented. It has to be authoritative, it has to be passionate, but it is the exposition of the inspired Word of God. Preaching, you see, is not the place for the preacher to air his personal opinions. It's the place where God's Word is presented. And why you should all bring your Bibles is to make sure that what you're hearing is in fact the Word of God. Because sometimes people say things and people think to themselves, oh, hold on a minute, is that really in the Word of God? Well, they don't know because they've never read it, but there's something that they're, not concerned, that they're concerned about, and so on. You know, sometimes as a preacher it can be very hard to keep your own opinions to yourself. There are some things that are very precious to me and perhaps mean a great deal to me and naturally speaking, I want to share them. But one's got to be careful because this has to be what God wants there to be spoken of and to be shared. Sometimes uh, preaching in church is not necessarily the place for me to make certain statements. There are some times when I need to speak perhaps personally to people or to a smaller group or whatever. There are times as well when I think back to myself and thinking back over all this COVID business that just maybe I should have been clearer on some of my personal feelings. 
But at the same time, I thank God that as a fellowship we have held together. Somebody said to me recently, wow, what a mixed bag you've got at Norwich Baptist Church. You've got people that normally are sort of like fighting each other, okay? And I look around and I think to myself, yeah, in many respects that could be the case. But here we see the work of the Holy Spirit bringing people together. And we have been able to maintain our fellowship, which is a great demonstration of God working in us. So in that sense, I hope that my personal opinions don't always come forward, or or certainly not the opinions that are to be heard the most from this platform. Because this pulpit is uh, is the place not for opinions, but for the proclamation of God's word. And so we need to make sure that that is clearly understood. Now, of course, there are some things which, as I say, can be ambiguous and we need to uh, uh, make some sort of statement and occasionally we are able to do that. But remember, preaching is declaring the word of God, the inspired word of God. And secondly, if good preaching is the exposition of the inspired word of God, then then it is imperative that if we're going to preach and if we're going to teach, that we are anointed by the Holy Spirit of God in doing this. You see, there are people that will stand up and they will make statements and they will preach, but if it's not God's calling, then we shouldn't do it. And we need to be careful about this. That's why we need to make sure that when we preach and declare the word of God, we're doing so because God is calling us to do so. And he is the one on whom We depend totally to do this. And here's the thing. The Holy Spirit owns and anoints the work through us. Why? Because if the anointing of the Holy Spirit is not present, then the preacher is wasting his time. Okay? If the Holy Spirit is not anointing what is being said, then the preacher is wasting his time. And he's not only wasting his time, but he's wasting the time of the congregation. You might as well be off doing something else. Stay in bed on a Sunday morning. Whatever. And sadly, there is church after church in our province, let alone the rest of the world, where the preaching that is presented is not anointed. It isn't of the Holy Spirit. It's man-made religion. And all they want to do is to back it up with the things that make people feel good. Yeah, look, we could organize a religious club. We could even play Bible Trivial Pursuit, if that would make everyone feel happy. Or Scrabble, only using Bible words. but you might as well go to bingo or whatever. That's why we need to make sure that when we preach and declare the word of God, we're doing so because God has called us to do so. If the preacher isn't doing this, he's simply speaking his own words. He's declaring his own ideas. He is simply stating his own thoughts and perhaps more seriously his own desires. And then he begins to manipulate people. And before you know it, the preacher becomes the leader of a cult. And he brings glory to himself. 
and the people start to follow him. Not the God who created them. Not the God who loved them and gave his son to die for them. All because the words are his words and not God's words. If you're not anointed by the Holy Spirit of God, we will also find that the message that is preached has no power because it can't change lives. It might make you feel a bit happier because the jokes were of a reasonably high standard. It might help you to think, well, everybody loves everybody, therefore everything's okay. But it won't have power to change people's lives. You see, being a good public speaker, being a good orator, being a good persuasive speaker doesn't equal good preaching. You can run a vast TV or radio network preaching to the entire world in one go, but if you don't have the anointing of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> preaching is a means by which God speaks. And so the third point, and the one that we finish on this morning, is this one. Preaching is important, but it's good preaching, we find, is designed to enable people to hear the voice of God. Beyond the voice of the preacher, and this of course means that there is much responsibility also on the hearer, as there is on the preacher, because the hearer also needs to come prepared to listen, not to the preacher, but to listen to what God has to say. And here's the thing, if we come prepared and the preacher is anointed, then we see power in the church from the preaching that takes place. Then we see lives changed. And then we can go back to 1 Corinthians 15 and we can see, as it was speaking there of the return of the Lord Jesus, but talking of the fact that we are changed and that change comes about by our relationship with Jesus. You see, just turning up and hearing the preacher is not sufficient. And that's what lots of people do. Uh, there's a desire, perhaps, to come out of tradition because your parents insisted that you did. And then you got married and you got kids of your own and you think to yourself, well, I better perpetuate the same old tradition and turn up and listen to what has to be said. And you're sat there thinking to yourself, why am I doing this? You know, I remember when I was eight years old, and it was painful. When I was 18, it was even more painful. And now I've got my own kids and I'm watching them and it's even more painful. Because you don't do it out of a sense of tradition. You don't come just because it's the right thing to do. Because if you do that, you'll never get anything out of it. How we come to church is so important. You know, if you've had a, a late night on a Saturday, where's Nancy? Curtains twitched as Nancy goes back into the apartments in George Street. Half past 11 at night, Nancy Pollard is coming back from a busy afternoon and evening. And if you've come here this morning just to catch up on sleep, well, guess what? That's what you'll catch up on. 
you can just put the brain into neutral. Perhaps put it in a bag or box, whatever it is that you have beside you. Try and get comfortable on the chairs which you think are not very comfortable and you wish that we had other ones back. <laughs> and that's exactly what you'll get from it. You're just not off to sleep. Ich von Slapen. Okay? And you'll get exactly what you're wanting. If you've come this morning to criticize the preacher, you'll find loads of things to criticize him over. Because your attitude is that that's what I've come for. I can tell you a story that affected me badly. I worked with a guy who we went to the same church. And uh, Monday morning, 8.30, the first words out of his mouth were, what a terrible sermon on Sunday again. Every week it was the same. And I was a young guy and I went along with it. And Jonathan Stephen, who preached, was an anointed servant of God. And it brings tears to my eyes now when I think of the things that I said about him. And I only said them because I didn't like the truth that he presented. And this other man had a responsibility because I was younger. He was in his 40s and 50s. He knew how he should have treated me. But he chose to do the opposite. And so we discover that if you want to be critical, you'll have loads. You know, we'll have pasta for lunch again. Could be a bit tough, but you know, that's what you want to do. Because you've come looking for the negative. And you'll find it. And you'll take it away. And it'll damage you and your family for the whole of that week till you have another dose the following week. Because when we read the words here, verse 40, and with many other words he testified Peter speaking and exhorted them saying, be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day 3,000 souls were added to them, to the church. So notice the word received. And notice the words received gladly. Just turning up and hearing the preacher is not sufficient. You actually have to come with a heart's desire to grow and to be encouraged. And here's the thing. When the preacher preaches with passion, the inspired word of God, and when you come because you've prayed and you're determined to learn bang there's power and you change and the church changes and everything changes because you've brought the two together and it's a great joy a close we're just reading uh, to you um, well actually there's quite a lot more but I think in view of time he will we will just read some scriptures which are so terribly encouraging for us. And uh, the first one we read is from Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. John 8.31, then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. 
and you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. And then James. James is so, so horribly practical, isn't he? You know, he, he says your tongue is the most dangerous part of your body. Uh, and he says, you know, what you say affects everything. And in one, uh, James 1 verse 21, he says, Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. And then he says this, in case you haven't grasped it completely, he says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only. Because if you don't, you just deceive yourself. So, of course, preaching sees a result. And we're grateful for that. Yes, there is power in Peter's preaching. And many people came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and were added to the church. Paul uh, says... Uh, in 1 Corinthians 1, 21 and 22. For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For Jews request a sign, Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. Foolishness. A stumbling block to the, to the, to the Jews. And foolishness to the Greeks. And Paul says, we need neither signs nor wisdom. He says the kernel of what we have to offer is that we preach Christ crucified. And it is that which is more powerful than all the demands of signs and wonders and the miracles of the Jews. It's more powerful than the wisdom of the Greeks. Why? Because it is the power of God to salvation. So friends, let's come with the right attitude, right hearts. Let's listen. Not to the words of the preacher, but to the word of